Welcome to Safe Dividend Investings, podcast number 102 on February 9th of 2023. Today, I'll be answering seven interesting questions received in the last week. Check out my investment books, American High Dividend Handbook and Canadian High Dividend Handbook at Amazon.com. These scored stocks could save you hours in your search for a strong, safe stock to add to your portfolio. Question number one. What are the reasons to own individual stocks and not invest in index funds? I do not invest in index funds or any funds because after much analysis, I saw that most funds invest in hundreds of stocks. I know from having scored thousands of stocks that there are fewer than 40 that I consider financially rewarding enough to personally own. If you bother to read the legalese in a fund's prospectus, you will discover that not only do you not have control of what is in the fund, but you have just given permission to the fund management to deduct fees, charges, commissions, and whatever else they can get away with from the fund every year. Since there are so few good shares in a fund, the majority of shares in the fund are weak filler shares. To create the illusion of safe, well-thought-out diversity, You would not buy these if you were buying individual shares. Well, it may seem inconsequential when a fund is supposedly only charging 0.005% to manage a million dollars you put in the fund. This works out to $5,000 every year you're investing in that fund. What are they doing to earn the $5,000? An index is an index. How much analysis is required? I can invest a million dollars in the stock and it will cost me a one-time fee of $9, even if I own that stock for 100 years. If I want diversity and spread the million dollars equally over 20 carefully chosen stocks, over the next 100 years, the most I would pay is $180 for that portfolio. I want to know exactly what I am invested in and have total control of what gets bought and what gets sold. I do not want to learn that I am paying income tax for capital gains on good stocks that a fund manager has sold without consulting me during the past year to make the fund's return look better in the short term. Fund supporters say that you are paying for the skill of a professional fund manager. A strong stock is a strong stock. I can pick stocks whose share prices and dividend payouts have shown growth steadily for the last 23 years through three market crashes just as well as any professional fund manager. So can you if you are shown how easy it is to do, do it. Funds are designed to make fund companies 
rich, not you. The fund makes money whether you do or not by investing in their funds. Their skill is in convincing the gullible that their fund is unique, safe, and rewarding. Buyer, beware. Question number two. When a speculator buys a stock at a low price and sells it at a higher price, what happens to the money that was invested? A company sold an initial share in their company on the stock market to raise capital. The person who bought the share was a speculator who believed that the share was going to increase in value. Supposedly, it would increase in value because the company was able to expand the business with that capital that was raised in selling the shares. At some point, the speculator who bought the share no longer believed that the share will be in demand and increase in value. They then sell the share on the stock exchange to another speculator who thinks the share has potential to grow. The original shareholder may or may not have sold it at a higher price than what they paid for it. The money that the company got for selling of a share in their company could have been received decades ago. The share that you bought is just a legal record that says you own a piece of this company. Its only value is what someone is willing to pay for that duly registered share record of ownership. If the company was ever liquidated, you would have a right to a piece of the resulting money realized. This rarely happens. The way you make money on your share is by sharing in the company's profits when and if they are ever distributing a portion of their profits to each shareholder as a dividend, or when you sell the share to a speculator at a higher price. Question number three. Which stocks generate the highest potential returns over the long term? Large cap, mid cap, small cap, or penny stocks. If the company is not financially strong and has a 20-year history of declining share prices and operating margins, it does not matter if it is a large cap, mid cap, small cap, or penny stock. It is not a wise purchase. If it is a financially strong company showing ever-increasing share prices and paying ever-increasing dividend payouts for the last 20 years, it is showing that the company has an established, strong character and its executives know what they are doing. The trend will most likely be to continue. To further establish the direction of your portfolio, you do not invest in one strong company. You invest in the best 20 you can find. Why? Because no one can accurately predict 
the future, and if one company should deviate from its expected path, it will have little impact on the direction of your total portfolio. If you are investing $100,000, it does not matter if you invested in 40,000 stocks at $2.50 each or 1,000 stocks at $100 each. A gain is a gain, although you are far more likely to see a $2.50 stock double within a few years than a $100 stock. Interestingly, in the reference book, New York Stock Exchange's 106 Best High Dividend Stocks Analyzed and Scored, you can find a stock like Alexander's Inc., stock symbol ALX, with a share price of $228.22 with a desirability score of 55. And you can find Company Serico National, stock symbol SID, with a share price of $2.50 and a desirability score of 53. The highest score of the 106 stocks listed in the book is a 73, which is not far off the highest score I have ever calculated of 78. The lowest score I've ever calculated was a 4. Any score over 50 is an acceptable risk. The 23 years of historical share price and dividend payouts in the book for ALX and SID are interesting. One stock is definitely stronger than the other. Thus, it confirms that it is not a matter of the cap size, but the overall strength of a company that makes it an acceptable investment risk. Question number four. Is 2023 a good year to invest? Is there such a thing as a right time to invest? If you are going to buy financially strong companies with decades of ever-rising share prices and increasing dividend payouts, when you bought those stocks is going to have no relevancy 10 years from now. The hard part for new investors is taking the leap, not having the experience of knowing what to expect. Share prices go up and share prices go down. What you are really investing in is the expertise of the executives in making the revenue and expense decisions that result in profits. The purpose of a company is to make a profit, not to make speculators rich. Profits only influence speculators. They do not control them. If you think you're going to get rich by buying low and quickly selling high, this strategy can cause you to lose money in any year. Buy quality stocks that are strong and they will reward you over many years. If you do not know how to identify strong stocks, then go to my website for some insights. 
Question number five. When you come into money, is the best investment to buy houses and have a turnkey company manage them? We have owned rental properties and suffered through all the headaches that owning physical property brings. A turnkey company needs to make a profit, so they are not cheap. They will take care of most of the headaches, but not all. The property will most likely appreciate, depending on the location. It costs a lot of money to buy and sell a property. To me, I found the easiest, most profitable way to invest the money that I came into was to invest it equally in 20 financially strong companies paying high dividends. For more than 20 years, this has given me an average annual dividend income worth 6% or more of the portfolio's total value. Plus, the portfolio has grown most years by 12% or more. This is through the 2000, 2008, and 2020 market crashes. I spend about five minutes daily monitoring my portfolio. Every four to six months, I score all 20 stocks, which takes a few hours. Rarely do I make a change in my portfolio. The constant growth in the portfolio's value keeps me ahead of inflation because the share prices go up. Many of these companies increase their dividend payments. The dividend payouts increase faster than share prices. All this can be quickly and easily verified by looking at historical share price and dividend payout records. I do this as a self-directed investor because the 2% to 4% investment advisors would siphon off each year from my portfolio would cut into the dividend payout. If you reinvest the dividends, you should expect to see your portfolio double in less than five years. Question number six. For the best return, what is the right mix of investments between stocks, bonds, and real estate? If you are after capital gains for your financial goals, do not look for capital gain in bonds. If you like paying taxes and maintenance costs, invest in real estate. The fastest, safest way to reach financial goals is to invest equally in 20 financially strong companies who pay high dividends and have had ever rising share prices and dividend payouts since 1999. See how they have remained strong through the 2000, 2008, and 2020 market crashes. If you do not know how to identify strong companies, go to my website and watch the videos and listen to the podcasts. The site is www.safer.com betterdividendinvesting.com Question number seven. Can you predict which companies will go bankrupt? 
companies do not go bankrupt overnight. Their demise is more like a tire with a slow leak than a tire that suddenly explodes. Usually, the first sign of trouble is the company goes from paying suppliers promptly to 30 days slow. As things get worse, they go to 60 days slow in meeting their terms that they bought goods under. This creeps up to 90 days slow with selected suppliers. There are some suppliers that are critical to their operation and they will be the last ones to be paid slowly. The disposable suppliers that are easily replaced by another supplier will be the first ones to experience slowness. Companies must always check when they receive unsolicited orders from new customers. Their landlord and the bank will be the last ones to notice their cash flow restriction. As they run out of cash to pay bills, they may write a check when there is not enough funds in their bank account to cover it. This is bad because it indicates a stage of desperateness and poor accounting. If they cannot quickly cover this bad check, the supplier who received it will place it for collection with a collection agency. They're willing to lose money on that sale in the commission they pay to the collection agency. The bank will have noticed the bad check. They will now be looking very carefully at the security that they are holding on a bank loan. Other suppliers seeing the account being placed in collection are no longer willing to wait 60 to 90 days to get paid. They send in their demand letters and start turning over their pass-through accounts to collection agencies. When a collection agency is unable to collect the claim, it is forwarded to a lawyer who issues a writ. This is a public record document, which is soon brought to the attention of all suppliers and customers. As more collections and writs are issued, the business is effectively being cut off from suppliers it needs to survive. It usually takes months before a legal action ends up in court. When a judgment is finally rendered, this gives the plaintiff the right to seize assets of the company to cover their judgment. Noting the judgment, the bank, which is holding a floating debenture on all assets, moves in on the default of its loan payment and seizes the business. If they think there is any hope for the business, they may keep it running until they can sell it to an interested party who will cover their loan loss. The company may or may not go bankrupt. If there are no assets to seize, going bankrupt is a waste of time and money. The owner of the business has now lost what they have invested in the business and now moving on. The suppliers could petition the company into bankruptcy to allow for a legal settlement rather than let the bank sell the business to cover just their own loss. If the owners are able to face the reality of their situation early enough, they could have done 
whatever they had to do to cut expenses which were exceeding their ability to meet or exceed revenues. You might even have tried to sell the whole or part of the business to a competitor at a bargain price to salvage something of its rapidly diminishing value. It is hard letting go of a business that they have sacrificed so much to keep afloat. Their eternal hope can obscure the reality of the situation. Over the many months or even years, credit reporting agencies would have been documenting the demise of the business by recording its trade payments, bad checks, collection claims, and legal issues. Ordering a credit report or using an account monitoring service can give enough warning to abandon a customer before you lose money by hanging on to a bad account too long. Thanks for listening. If you wish more information on investing and stock scoring, please visit my website, www.saferbetterdividendinvesting.com.